What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 544 of Flow Wrestling Radio Live. I'm your host, Christian Piles, joined as always by my buddy, my favorite West Virginian, Stephen Kyle Brackey. And today, yes, as promised, he delivered. He made the walk yet again. Media mogul, the bad guy, Chael Sonnen. And, and honestly, you know, the before the show starts, Chael, it, it seems like you're still, there's some residual effects. You're still a little upset with me. Well, it seems you guys have come crawling back once again, begging me to take you in. Now, I believe I have been uh, invited here so that you can apologize to me. And I not only am here man enough to accept it, I suggest that you also apologize for unspecified future offenses, which you're bound to make in the next hour, pile. Well, listen. I, I have absolutely nothing to apologize for from the previous show. Other really? than, other really? than, you know what? I did feel bad that I didn't check on. Everyone checks in on Chael, the media personality, Chael, the MMA. What about Chael, the person? You know what? I didn't ask for that from you last time, and you brought up your, your lovely wife. How are the wife? How are, how are your children, Chael? I do I feel bad about that now. I don't need your fake pleasantries, by the way. What do you mean you don't have anything to apologize? I'm not looking to get started with you, Paul. What do you mean you don't have anything to apologize for? The very last time we were on here, you tried to make me look like a fool. You don't remember doing this to me? You don't remember cutting my head off the whole time? You don't remember ranking Bo Nickel number 20? You don't remember not mentioning Sean Hag? You don't remember miscategorizing the round of Kid Dynamite? I mean, in all fairness, this isn't really a way to start with you. I think we have other things to talk about. Maybe we should move on. Maybe we should move on. I'm sure we'll circle back around. Uh, I do apologize for ranking Bo Nickel 20th in like 2013. That was that was a grave error on my part. But um, no, that, uh, pile. It it truly isn't the point. The 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 point is you ranked him 20 because you didn't know he went three to two with Gabe Dean. In all fairness, and then after you got called out, you tried to rewrite history and attempt to say that it didn't matter, and he lost to some kid from Lehigh and blah blah. The whole debate goes away if you just go, man, I ranked him wrong. He went 3-2 to two with Game Dean as a senior in high school. He was a kid from Texas. I thought the only kid from Texas who could wrestle his name, Brandon Slay, I didn't know. You say that, we're done. Okay. What happened? Well, I'm just, I'm just not going to go there, but that's okay. That is just fine. Um, that's me. I, I apologize for that, for just being myself. Now, um, there's a lot to check in on. You had an event last week. Um what was the inspiration? What were your thoughts on, on how that went? Well, let's see here. So I loved it. I mean, but you don't know going in, pile. So the one thing, if anyone doesn't know what we're talking, we just we had a wrestling event, freestyle wrestling, Greco-Roman wrestling, but they did it in a cage. So it was a little bit different apparatus. And there wasn't meant to be anything cool about the cage. It was in the UFC and or it was on the UFC fight pass, and they just they do things in a cage. And um, but you don't know what that's gonna mean, right? And so if you're in my shoes and I'm a fan like you. I want to have conversations like this and maybe a little pat on the back somewhere in there. But you don't know when you picture that what that's going to look like. I mean, are guys going to get an underhook and push up against the fence and everybody's snoring all day long? And, you know, what do you do here? This whole this whole cage is a disaster. Type. I mean, you, you don't really know what you're getting into. So we followed UWW rules as closely as you could, aside from the apparatus. And it did change some things. I mean, there was a... You know, Joey McKenna was in a match. He does everything right. Tyler Berger shoots in on a double. McKenna goes and sprawls. His foot hits the fence. 
So now all of a sudden, what he's done his whole life, where a foot goes back, the hips, hips come down, the head goes up, he gets jammed up, boom, it gets converted to a takedown. I'm not complaining about any of that. I'm sharing with you. It actually made it very interesting. It did change some of the strategies. Uh, I don't know if you got to see the Greco match, but Provisor and, and Rayvon Perkins, I mean, they put up they put up 19 points in three minutes. I mean, not, 19 points is a, is a day-long bracket. It, it was fun, man. I, I had a good time. Yeah. Um, that was uh, – the, the Greco match was interesting, Chael. The, the, had the <laughs> – what? Wait, did the eye roll already? What do you what, what what do you mean? Yeah, um, I go I go. I had a good time. That's a lead in for you. Uh, yeah, um, you got weird about this whole thing from the beginning. Like there was something that it was on Fight Pass and it wasn't on Flow. I mean, you even sent me a text message. Why is this a Flow? It's like, dude, I appreciate the company stuff. Leave that to the suits in Austin. You and I are wrestling fans. Well, I love Mark. Mark sure did a great job. Well, you know what? I really love Mark now. Oh, you know what? Come to think of it, I've got enough Christmas cards to send around. I love them all. Why can't you and I just be fans every now and then? Rayvon Perkins and Ben Proviser are throwing each other well, all through the I'm era. fans of real wrestling matches. I, do, I don't think What's you can person? throw. I don't think Rayvon Perkins can throw Ben Proviser like that, personally. Oh, oh, I agree with you. That, that was a bit of a surprise. In fact, Little backstory on that match, uh, Christian, but they were training partners. I, I mean, I'm sure you could imagine that, but I mean, they actually went out to the Olympics. You know, Provisor was the representative, so he gets to bring a training partner, and he Rayvon's out. They're working out every day. When you see matches like that, particularly in Greco-Roman, man, there's nothing that's going to happen. One guy gets one point. That's all the points that he needs. So I agree with you. To watch those guys lock up, I mean, Provisor gets thrown for five and then forces the same position. It's like, well, Ben, that wasn't very smart. Ooh, but he steps in and grabs four points. That that was wild. That was a wild match. How would you fix Greco wrestling from a from a fan perspective or from a viewership perspective? Okay, I have to tell you, and this would go to freestyle as well. I hope they stop on the rule changes. You know, between 2004 and 2015, man, they changed the rules more time, for, three times for sure. They changed them twice in 2004 between the Open and the wrestle-off for the Olympic team. I mean, twice. And what is that, eight weeks or nine weeks? It, it was unbelievable. And they just wouldn't stop. And, you know, we had, we had these guys with Fila – and they, there were a bunch of guys that were judo guys. They would go get drunk on wine and just start writing rules down. I don't say that to be funny for you. That's what happened. And so you had all these rule changes. I maintain for you the rules right now are as close to perfect. I love it. I even love the fact that it's six minutes and you're done. I mean, I think that's important. Criteria can frustrate some people. But if you take the athletes who have to go into a tournament, baddest dudes in the world 45 minutes apart i mean you can't leave them out there all day they can't go have you know a dennis hall uh brandon paulson match that lasts 14 minutes they just can't i like the rules i like them a lot yeah i've come full circle yeah. on criteria i i hated it in 2014 i thought it was absolutely yeah. it just doesn't make sense to have a winner with someone has the same amount of points but you just look at the action that that criteria i think criteria creates a ton of action the fact that someone is basically always losing means there's always incentive to score whereas you watch folk style and you know like the last 30 seconds 45 seconds in a tie match the whole thing is well we're just gonna hold on and and be risk averse and just settle it in overtime and you not having that i think is, is absolutely uh, an advantage that freestyle wrestling currently has and greco 
fully agreed with you. And I don't love the shot clock and I don't love the push out rule, but I don't hate them either. I, I, the shot clock sometimes it's just a little bit confusing. I mean, you kind of have to educate a new view. It's a little bit confusing and it's just a little bit too subjective. I can tell you when I was a kid and I don't think this rule has ever changed. But parterre, by example, you're going to take that. Okay, you're going to be in parterre for 15 to 20 seconds. They used to say, I mean, that was the rule. You, Your coach would say that in the practice room. If you ever had the painful experience of going through a rules meeting prior to even a little kid's tournament, they would say that. They would go, you're going to be down 15 to 20 seconds. By the way, there's no stop clock. There's no way. Just kind of in the referee's head. But it was true. They were instructed to go 15 to 20 seconds. If it looks like a you know a leg lace is getting locked up or something, you go closer to the 20. And if there's not, you go closer to the 50. It was very loose. I don't think they've ever changed that. And pile, I mean, I'm seeing guys get on top, and they're there for four seconds consistently. They're there for three seconds, and that whistle's blowing I only bring that up because as a comparison to the shot clock, for me, it's a little bit too subjective. And for me, there's always a game of this guy go, well, I got to make sure I put this guy on later. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. But if I was to be critical, um, nah, I don't love it either. Yeah. The subjectivity of, of how long guys are, are let underneath is is frustrating. It was a frustration of Team Chimizo during the date match, um, how long he was left underneath there. Of course, Kyle Dake has maybe the best gut wrench in the world outside of Sajalayev. He guts Chimizo. That's the ultimately the the winning points there. What, what were your thoughts? I don't think we've spoken about that match specifically. Last time you were on radio was pre- before that match. Do I owe you an apology for my earlier demeanor? I feel like maybe I came a little hot at you, but maybe I was just continuing where we are. Is this like a new talk and, and everything's cool between us? I mean, maybe, maybe I took this uh, a little bit wrong. Okay. Okay. I do have a thought on that because as the viewer, and I'm sure you would agree with me, when Date got on top, and I agree with you with the gut wrench and where they were on the mat, and he's well known for his gut wrench, and there was no detective work. He was going to the right. He was Everything was clear. But if you read Frank's face, it was like it wasn't there. I mean, Frank yeah. did not adjust his hips. He had no sense of urgency. Now, he's pretty good at hiding urgency anyway. Wow, there was nothing there. I mean, Frank acted like almost like the whistle was blown. And then when Dake just turned him over, as me, the viewer, there's even a question of, hey, Frank, did you think the whistle blew? Why were you not respecting that? It wasn't a matter that he had Dake dug in and he was tough and breaking the ribs. It wasn't that. It was, mm-hmm. it was Chimizo took two seconds off and then, oop, Dake just turned the, turned the world champ over. That's yeah. what it looked like. No, I, I completely agree with that as well. It almost it reminds me the sim- the situations are similar, like the Soriano Dayton NCA final. It's like Dayton was distracted by the fact that Soriano grabbed the headgear and shot on the single leg that he made a point to like kind of point that out instead of defending. Whereas it while it is true that the, the headgear was grabbed and that was a thing, the fact that it distracted him like that and you know just because Nick Sirianni gets on a single leg on Dayton Fix, it certainly doesn't mean he's going to score. I think it was a similar, just kind of like a moment of just not the most pristine focus, and that can really cost you in those matches that are so close. Sure. Well, and you say, and you say the headgear was pulled, and you and I both know it was, but if you'll remember the ruling on that, when the NCAA went back and looked at it and they looked at the footage, 
You could see where Suriano's hand was. You had to guess and you'd be right 99.9. But officially, because the view did not show the fingers in, you could not then make the assumption. I mean, I only bring that up to you because the official ruling is the headgear wasn't pulled. I'm mm -hmm. not disagreeing with what you said. You're telling it the right way. But the official ruling, the headgear was not pulled. Right, right. And that is, you know, obviously well contended. And like, that's the difference between maybe, we don't know this, it, Zahid Valencia being an NCAA, NCAA champion his freshman year or not, because that was the difference in him and the, in the Mark Hall match. They need to get rid of headgear in the matches. What's the point? Why do they even have it? Where, where do you stand on headgear? I don't know where that came in as, as far as an official rule. And I think in international wrestling, I think you can't, I think you can't wear it anymore, but I'll at least tell you this. It used to be, you could wear headgear if you wanted international wrestling. It wasn't your choice though. It was your opponents in terms of if you took it off. So if you and I walk on the mat and I'm wearing headgear and you decide you don't want me in headgear, you tell the ref and then I have to take my headgear off. And I'm kind of one where the, you know, whether they wear headgear, they don't wear headgear. I would imagine that ties into a cauliflower ear at some point. I can't think of any other reason. It's certainly not football where you've got some ob obvious logical reasons for, I don't really know where the headgear comes from. And the fact that they only do it in youth and they don't do it in international, again, man, it, it's a little bit confusing. Yes, it, it is confusing. Um, not to mention aesthetically not for nothing but it's not overly appealing to look at at times i kind of want to see a guy every now and then yeah no uh i'm with you there so i have a question you're gonna have you're gonna have probably a little more insight on this than i am but tony oh, ramos wow. yeah new, news flash Please, go, <laughs> go ahead uh, see this is me i'm trying to i'm trying to mend this I'm trying to help. I'm trying to give you one. And then you have to throw in a little dig, every little thing. Every time I try well, to. I'm a little unprepared today. But I feel like you fooled me. Like, I mean, you kind of set this up. And then I saw some of your tweets. So I thought that we. Right. So now I look like the skunk at the garden party where you're coming in and being really nice. But I'm waiting for you to like, like the, 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 the back step. So I'm on edge, man. I'm ready for you, pile. <laughs> All right. All right. He's ready. You're ready for the other shooter drop, I guess. Okay. No, I really have a question about this. Tony Ramos versus Nikki Ryan. That's going to happen. You know, Nikki Ryan, I'm sure a little bit. Tony, obviously we all know. Tony entering the grappling world. This is a space you have uh, a decent amount of knowledge on. What, what are your thoughts when you heard this? Loved it and wasn't surprised in this regard. I mean, okay. So for people that don't know who Nikki Ryan is, I mean, this is the deep end of the pool. He's got a very unique skill set. He's one of the best guys in the world, has been for a period of time, but he's very young. Nikki might be 19 years old. If I'm wrong, yeah. Nikki might have had a 20th birthday. But the point is, when you take on somebody like that or you draw that name and you're a veteran like Tony Ramos, oh, and then add to the fact he's never even done it before, and then add to the fact everything that Ramos brings to the table, and as you know in combat, anything you bring, the other guy takes that day. I mean, it's one of the – he beats you. He's now the NCAA champion. He's now the world team member. I'm, I'm extending, but I think that you agree with me. Nobody would take that match. Uh, there's guys that grapple every day of their life that don't want Nikki Ryan. And it's not just because he's a difficult match, but that you got to lose it. You lose to equivalent of a sophomore in college. It's embarrassing. There's a lot on it. So you get a guy like Ramos who doesn't care whose name comes out of the hat. He decides, Oh, I'm going to go over and try grappling. It doesn't matter. He's got the wrestler mindset. Anybody that signs up, anybody, in the bracket room says that I'm calling and calls me to a mat. I'll take on. 
I just really appreciate it. And it's a very different match on top of that. If you want to talk the X's and O's, like if you look at Ramos, who's a very good wrestler, man, that might be where it ends. But he had great results. It was because of some intangibles, man. That guy brought a level of intensity. The second that whistle blew, he was coming at you. And by the end of the match, you weren't still there, but he was. I mean, he had that intangible. The reason I bring that up, it's tough to use that in grappling, right? Where Ramos would grab a guy and pull his head and shove his ass out of bounds. That's all to get the guy down. Well, in grappling, the guy might just go down. So where do you use that intensity? And I think there is an answer. I, I think Ramos is going to teach us something. I think he's going to find a way to hand fight on top, to push the head, to push the chair. I think he's going to be a big problem for Nikki, but it's a different style of intensity. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. What, what do you think? I, I watched ADCC, and that was kind of like one of my – that was early in me learning about the sport. I watch a guy like Nicky Rod come in, make silver, beats a, a reigning uh, ADCC champion or a former world champion. And I'm like, this dude's been doing this 18 months. He was a wrestler, a good wrestler from New Jersey, but not nothing nationally elite. What's stopping a lot of wrestlers from getting into this and, and being disruptive to, to grappling? Well, it's very much different th than wrestling. I mean, the mindset has to change. And I'll tell you, I was late to the party. I was in the room and I was practicing every day. But it's kind of like a philosophical thing, just by example. Um, and you and even Bracky will will understand this, would right? So I'm really, good. I'm really going to make this simple. But first off, you put Bracky. I'm kidding. That meant to, that was meant to be hello. But first off, you go to your back. Well, for a wrestler, that's never going to make sense you're not looking for submission in wrestling you're looking for position in wrestling so a wrestler a lot of times is gonna i don't really care what happened there the the ins and the out i was on top i did what i was supposed to do so now you have to have a little bit of a learning curve and then there's also a lot to wrestling and i, I think you hit it on the head which is going to sound a little insulting to grappling but when you brought up ryan and the fact that he was a wrestler in new jersey and wasn't really great a lot of wrestlers are going to look at that and go well, if you weren't great at that, then obviously my style and what I do and achieve a higher level is going uh, to be better. They could be right, but that's not the way the points are awarded. It doesn't work. It's a sport in and of itself. And, and if wrestlers have an open mind and they learn how to flow and start with protecting yourself and then go into offensive techniques, I mean, it's a big deal. Any sport that you have that is determined – by a disparity in points and time, you have to learn how to do it. It's a very real thing. And early on, wrestlers dominated, like Mark Kerr, by example, took the grappling world over. He won Abu Dhabi and won the absolute and became the super fight champion and barely practiced um, grappling and, and jiu-jitsu. He barely did. He just got on top and roughed guys up. But the sport evolved since then. I mean, you remember the time in MMA when if you could just get position – you didn't have to worry about submission, and you didn't have to worry about strikes. You could take it all away, but it's evolved since then. It's a compliment to the sport, not a, not an insult to the athlete. Yeah, um, it's it's been fun to kind of learn a little bit about the sport as it's as it's evolved, and seeing wrestling kind of turn their eye towards it is is pretty cool. Um, so I don't know if you've been listening much. Um, you're a very busy man, as we all know, but we've been having a, a lot of discussion about. Youth wrestling and kind of the philosophies and the different schools of thought. And obviously Ben Askren has a, 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 a different school of thought. And we had Lee Roper on, who is a, a great coach in Georgia. Now he coaches at UNI, as I'm sure you know. 
And I was curious, and, and, and Bracky put it in here, what are your thoughts on youth wrestling, coaching young kids, competing, etc.? Well, um, multiple thoughts. First off, youth, youth wrestling is in a very good spot. Like, by example, you used to go to a wrestling tournament, you weigh in from 7 to 9, you go grab some breakfast, you come back, Tournament starts at ten. Your first mu- your first match might not be till two o'clock. It might not be till three o'clock. Yeah. And you might be in that building if there's a good attendance as late as ten p.m. It was just one of these things. Now everybody was used to it, just the way a wrestling life went. But now it's it, it's very categorized. If you're a nine and ten year old, here's specifically the hours that you will be wrestling. They run through way through at the same time, but be back at this. Time. If you're a cadet, be here between two and four. We're going to run through the bracket. I only offer that because it is very relevant. If you want kids to do something, it's not a bad idea to make it a little bit handier on the parent who's bringing the kids. Secondly, numbers are growing. Like USA Wrestling is reporting some really impressive numbers out of Maryland, out of Maine, like some places that might surprise you where they're getting record numbers and record turnout. I think it's largely because of the way that they're scheduling it. And then you've got these youth programs popping up as well. I mean, we're seeing this on the senior level with the regional training centers, but that's happening on the youth level as well. A lot of junior highs, for a period of time, junior highs had pulled uh, wrestling out of them. It used to just be a very consistent option uh, for extracurricular, and they pulled it out, and there was a little bit of a lull in wrestling. But then when things settled, those coaches went and started club programs, and they started something at the high school you're seeing those numbers come back. So if, if that's what you were referring to, which yes. everything starts with participation. Jake Herbert put out a, a really great piece, and you can still find it on his Twitter feed. But he lays out the five steps to wrestling. As he lays out the five steps that every coach should know, the last one he gets to is teaching them how to wrestle. That is the last one. It starts with participation, and it feeds into motivation. Um and I only share that with you because it's very real. I mean, at some point, a kid has to be exposed to something, see it, and turn to mom or dad and go, I want to do that. Right. Will your or do any of your children wrestle? So, Pharaoh is five years old, and uh-huh. I br- no, he not. I bring him to practice with I'm assistant coaching at the high school, and every day he double crosses me. He promises me he will sit on the wall with his Hulk toy. <laughs> He never does. He runs around the room, and then all the kids have to make sure that they don't, like, bump into him, and it's terribly annoying. But um, it's an exposure, right? I mean, he will never be forced to wrestle, but that doesn't mean there's a part of me that, that I hope that's what he chooses. But I have to do my job, which is just to expose him. And you got to right. show him a whole bunch of things, and then, a, you know, he kind of finally, uh, finds the direction he wants to go. Short answer to your question, no. Got it. Got it. Dude, what, what's it like coaching uh, high school in Oregon? Well, Oregon wrestling is very big. And, um, I mean, we used to go to the junior nationals and win it as a state. We have world champions from the state of Oregon. We have Olympians from the state of Oregon. I offer you that because we don't don't get a lot of credit out here. And in many ways, whatever the state of Washington does, Oregon gets credit for and vice versa. Because right on the border of Oregon and Washington is where the top clubs sit. So the Oregon guys jump over the border. The Washington guys jump over the border. When it's time to represent, they're, they're representing different. But it's really the collective group that goes out and does a good job. So in Oregon, wrestling is growing. I mean, I can tell you on the club scene, it's very intense. It was when I was a kid. I haven't forgiven any of those guys. I still don't like those guys, and they still don't like us. And now there's more clubs growing. 
And when we get together, we're all civil. But the reality is we still remember when we were nine years old and we still don't like each other. All right. So I'm, I'm thinking about you in a high school dual meet. Are you like giving the refs as much crap as you give me? No, I really try not to, but I was also coached that way. My, my, my coach would coach Roy Pittman. He would coach, but then he would also go ref at tournaments. And I mean, he would tell us, listen, that's a very tough job that somebody has to do. And this is people judging people. And he kind of provide an adage that I uh, certainly you've heard, which is take it out of the referee's hand. You got to be able to beat the guy more than the referee. But it's a real thing. It's a, it's a good message, I think, as well. I, I don't really enjoy that myself. At, at a certain level, you have to get involved and all the way to the Olympic level where now there's a way to get involved by throwing the brick that is very clean, it's very organized, nobody gets their feelings hurt. But when I do see that at a youth tournament and I see a father or a parent lose his mind and he, he's yelling at some referee, there's no replay anyway. There's It turns into this bullying situation. And the person doing the bullying always hangs their hat on, I want my athlete to know that I will fight for him. Man, that's a bunch of crap. It, it, it really is. Let, let the match play out. You live with the result. Yeah, I had a hard time with that early on in coaching. Um, <laughs> I got better. But where, then where, I... you, where you were the one doing the arguing? Oh, yeah. I was, I was, I was the worst. Um, <laughs> maybe. maybe. Was bullying the officials? I wasn't bullying. They, I, I was, you know, I was young and just like, I mean, to, to be fair, there's, I saw a lot of really bad officiating and I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't let much go. Um, cause it really bothered me. But, and but there's, something that, there's something that is fun about that in your young coaching career where you learn the rules and then you know the rules better than the other guy, and you kind of like to let him know that. I mean, I, I went through a little phase of yeah. that, as, in all fairness. But, um, you know, like you, I, I was young, and you, you quickly adjust. But I think all of us go through that phase at some point. Yeah, yeah, definitely immaturity. I want to talk about something that uh, watching uh, Wrestling Underground, you waged war on a term we oh! use often. So you so you admit you did watch it. Ah, it was, why would it take so long to get to that? Why, why <laughs> would you not comment that you enjoyed it or you didn't now, chill, enjoy it? We can it rewind the tape where I said, well, hold on. We can rewind the tape. We already talked about it. I talked about the, the Greco match. I was tweeting about the match. I was texting you during it. Okay. So uh, a little. I apologize. Well, I, I accept it, but, but now I'm going to give it right back because you are trying to cancel the name of a move that we call a headlock and you said it shouldn't be called that. And that's what we call the move. We call it a cowboy, but you went off. Okay. Okay. It's not true. I mean, first off, it's just not true. Now this started at the Olympic training center. And the coaches, and then all of a sudden the athletes started getting on board. And I'm watching these adult athletes call a move a headlock, all because a coach who came from Russia who misunderstood how to speak the language called a head and arm a headlock. And I had a big problem with it. I really do, and I still do to this day, because names matter. If names didn't matter, we'd all just walk around and call each other Walter. Names matter. And a headlock... We don't want that. Per the rule book, is illegal. It's actually named in there as a headlock, and there's a picture of a guy with no arm. You have to have the arm. Even if you have the arm and you slide, it's an illegal move. So when you have the coaches at the highest of levels calling to do a head, this is the headlock. It's called a front 
headlock. There's one move in all of wrestling that's called a headlock, and you have to put the word front in front of it. There's no other word for it. So then when you have these guys that misinterpreted the Russian coach who was doing the best he could, and they all started calling it a headlock, it's now trickled down. But excuse me, it's not a headlock. As a matter of fact, a headlock is illegal. It's called a head and arm. It is the most basic root move in wrestling. If you put two kids together on Thanksgiving after you had the meal and moved the furniture out, as I'm sure something you can relate to, yes. they don't know how to wrestle. One will grab a head and the arm and you bring them down. And then somewhere over time, these guys that used to be at the Olympic Training Center started saying the word that the poor coach who was doing his best to speak the language was saying the wrong word. It's illegal. I won't make a huge deal. I will make a deal about that only because the rule book agrees with me. The one that pisses me off is Gator Bacon. It's first off, it was created by Broderick Lee. He's the one that named the whole mood and came up with a series for it. Oscar Wood went to the NCAA tournament, pinned seven guys with the exact same move. And if you ask Oscar what it's called, he will tell you a death grip because he learned it from Broderick Lee. Some guys have come along and they call it a cow catcher. Okay, fine. I can live with it. Gator Bacon, man, that shit. Come on. Yo, what are we doing here? Gator That's a Come on, man. Well, I've heard Gator Why Bacon is like. Where would a gator get bacon? It doesn't make any kind of. Why would you add syllables to a word? It's just weird. So the gator bacon, as as it's currently used, to my knowledge, is like the Dylan Ness guys in on that head outside shot. You kind of dig your arm and you kick, do like a high flyer, or kick kick them over, yeah, like laying over on their back, like like Ness did to Green. I'm sure you watched that match uh, in 2014. Sure. That's what I call a gator bacon, but you would not. High flyer, high, high flyer, nether nether fair word made famous by a guy from Nebraska who was a two-time finalist against Kevin Randleman named Corey Olson. He hit everybody with that move. He set a record for the NCAA as well as the history of the school Nebraska for pins. He called it a high flyer. That's fair game. Some people in that position you're speaking about have even called it a monkey flip. Okay, fine. I can live with the whole thing. But the move was created, and the words are out there, including a guy who coined the term. It's kind of like a Metzger. Like, if you're from Oklahoma State, you don't get to just call that a hip lift. And that's what Oklahoma State tried to do. They refused to credit Andre Metzger, so they call it a hip lift. I'll see old cowboys around doing clinics and camps, and they'll call it a hip lift. It's not called a hip lift. It's called a Metzger. And to come in and re rename a move is weird, but I can live with it. To call a move an illegal move. You're calling a head and arm a headlock, which is in the rule, but it's ridiculous. You're going to yell as a coach, hit him with a headlock. Why, why wouldn't you just say punch him in the nuts? It's the same <laughs> thing. But in that regard, that was very weird. I mean, even the Gator, but that, that's weird, but fine. To call a move an illegal move per the rule book, it's just a weird thing. Oh, let's grab him by one finger and rip it off. But that actually means hit an ankle pick into a double leg. It's it doesn't make sense, man. All right. It's not the I want to die on today, by the way. That's not what I want to use my energy on. But, yes, to call a head norm a headlock, which is illegal and brought over by a coach who is just trying to speak the light. It's ridiculous. It is. I'm glad we were able to, to talk about that. Though. I went through practices. I lived at the training center. I went through practices with this exact coach, who's amazing, by the way. But he would yell headlock. 
Like he would yell out, you know, arm spin and arm, and a body like third thing. He would yell headlock, and every day, you want to know what I would do? I would snap the guy down into a front headlock. Why? Because that's the move he was calling out. I got it. I got it. You know, do some... you? Do you have it? Because I feel like you're going to call a match in the future, and you're going to call a head and arm a headlock. I, I'm not. I don't. If I, I don't do. Know that you do that. If I do, I'm only just know I'm only doing it to bother you and you alone. <laughs> it's yes. because it's because I, I'll I'll have a suspicion that you're listening and I'll say it to to bother you. So that would be the only reason I do do it. So consider that. Okay. Uh, uh good news. There's, this is good. This is good stuff, right? Wrestling is coming back, right? More and more. We had our event in July. You had your event. Uh, Beat the Streets is coming back. October is going to be wild with who's number one, Senior Nationals, U23s and Juniors, Super 32, Journeyman, etc. Are you starting to get wrestling fever back, Chael? Yeah, yeah. Well, Pyle, every season's a new season. Like in, uh, take professional boxing or MMA. Whatever a guy's record is, over the course of the day, he got a professional license till he retired. That's his record. If he was 40 and 2 or he was 20 and 12. But in wrestling, every season, you're undefeated. And you should be. I mean, you it's a very clean slate. And as you go into Olympic year, and I know you mentioned a lot of collegiate events, but you did mention the open. And when you mm-hmm. go into Olympic year, particularly when you condense down, I mean, the two biggest matches right now, and you can argue which way it is, but you're either going to say uh, Cox versus Schneider or you're going to say Dake versus Burroughs, but it's all because, you know, uh, of the convention down. I think I think Derringer going up to 85 is very interesting. You, you, you've got, you know, I just think there's a lot of parody and a lot of shit. By the way, where is James Green going to go? Is he's, Green going 45 and a half? No, he's going up. 74. He is. You know he's at Virginia Tech now, right? Yes, I did know that. I knew him and Burroughs weren't in the room together every day. That That's actually why I asked, you know, after yeah. that. And Green, you know, that's got to be trying to make 145 pounds at his age and as big and lean as he is. I'm happy to hear that he's going that weight class, but I think it adds to my point. I think it, it creates some parity. Let me ask you one more, if I may, which is Nolf. Where is Nolf going to go? He's going to go 74. Yeah. All right. Well, there's another fun one. Nolf yeah. is – oh, uh, one more, if I may, but uh, Mark Hall. Is Mark Hall also jumping in that, or is he going up? He's going up. I, I don't think he'll ever be down at 74, at least not anytime soon. I think I forget what he's what he's been saying, but I'm almost positive it's going to be 86 for the Olympics. And, yeah. you know, would he consider coming down to 79 out of Olympic years? I think maybe he'd look into that, but I think he's going to try to get big and, and wrestle up there. But yeah, 74 is crazy. Burroughs, Dake, Ringer, Imar, Nolf, Chinzo, Makai Lewis. Time out for Chael. Look, let me share something with you while yeah. we're on that because you might think this is interesting. So I saw Mark Hall over the weekend. He was scheduled to be on the card. And he ended up hurting his foot, but he had a plane thing. He came out anyway. Great guy. Just came out to support. Just couldn't have been a better yeah. guy. Side note, though, but now I'm face-to-face with Mark Hall, and I'm as good, you know, as you guys are, where you see a guy and you can size him up. I mean, I could, like, work at the fair. I, I could tell you three pounds <laughs> within what you weigh. Well, you just kind of do that your whole life. You know, you get to the tournament and who's going to be in my bracket, but you're always right. You always know who's in my bracket. And um, 
Yeah, he's de- he's definitely in between. I mean, if he weighs 190 pounds, I I don't think so. And but he's close. He's anywhere from that 84, 88 range. He's solid as can be. But you know, I think you had mentioned he's going to have to grow. But he's one of those guys that's going to have to choose. And uh, you know, when you have a stud like that that's got multiple world championships, and but he's got to choose. It's just it's one of those spots. It's one of the unfortunate parts of wrestling. I feel like it's never really talked about enough. But um. You know, he's, he's a bracket buster anywhere he goes. You know, if I was to tell you that Mark Hall and Imar are going to wrestle this week, you're going to stop what you're doing. Yeah. Or if I was to tell you that uh, Mark Hall and Derringer are going to wrestle this weekend, you're going to stop what you're doing. And he's one of those guys that's he's not going to be fun for somebody. Yeah, especially he is he is obviously amazing folk styler, but his freestyle game is just it's so sick. He's so good defensively. He's amazing upper body. He's really hard to score on, especially in freestyle. And he's got an amazing parterre offense. He's, I mean, the the list of guys. I, f- I feel like we're in such a amazing era for for USA wrestling. Now the ten weights may change things, but the number of guys that are not going to make teams in their careers is is going to be insane. It, there's there's just so much talent and. Um, the guys that are going to be on the outside looking in with all their accolades is incredible. It's, it's a it's a credit to you know where where USA Wrestling is right now in terms of development. But Mark Hall is, could be like the poster child. But you know what we were saying, Chael? I say that, but we were saying the same things about Burroughs and Dake forever, right? Those guys, they it's funny how they just feel like established world champions, etc. Guys, but these were guys that weren't on teams until. Uh, 2018, right? How how crazy is that? Yeah. Well, you look at all the world champions that we had, you know, I mean, my goodness, then Jaden Cox inserts his nose in this whole thing. I, I, I can remember opening round of the trials in 2016 and Herbert, who was the guy and had a silver medal, you know, and all. Herbert had a pretty good draw. He had a pretty easy guy out of Missouri, young guy named Jaden Cox. I mean, but that's the way that it went. It was one of these things where nobody knew that Cox was the baddest dude in the world. Cox on a bad day got a bronze medal. I mean, very rare talent that you have here. And now all of a sudden he's in this weight dilemma. And the whole thing going on between Cox and Schneider in terms of Cox being able to choose a weight and, and him bumping up, we don't see things very, very often like this. Uh, Andrew Howe, Chris Perry, of course, uh, Kyle Dake going into David Taylor, but it's very rare. You'd have to go all the way back to like 1983, and it was a match I didn't even see. I'm just familiar with because people talk about it, but Schultz and Bannock had done the same thing. And I don't know if you know that story, Pilot. If you don't, if I uh, may digress just for a minute here, but Bannock had won a couple of national championships at uh, 190, Schultz mm-hmm. had won a couple at 77 or one at 77. And it was Bannock's senior year and Schultz purely out of spite. He hadn't outgrown 177. He did, there was no, he did not want Bannock to be a three-time champion, which I love that storyline. It wasn't about him having a goal. He had a motivation to stop somebody else from reaching their goal. And he moves up. And I mean, this is a wild match. You can go. You can go find on YouTube. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what the genesis of this was. By the way, a lot of people don't know this story. Bannock was a couple of time champion, and Iowa used to come out to Oregon, to Southern Oregon, to Southern Oregon University in summertime. They'd go all around doing camps, and they went out to Southern Oregon. Well, that's Schultz, that's where Schultz lives. So Schultz finds out Iowa's in town. He finds out Bannock's in town. He goes and gets some buddies 
like they're going to get a street fight. He puts them all in the car. He says, Bannock's in town. So they drive to the arena to find Bannock. They walk in, and there happened to be live wrestling going on when they walk in. No warm-up, no anything, no, hey, I'm coming down. So Schultz walks in ready to go, finds Bannock, and, like, the whole room stops what they're doing. What's going on here? And Schultz gives him a leg and says, go. And they go. Bannock takes the leg. Everyone's watching. Bannock takes him down. So Schultz stands up and gives him a leg and, and again. And they went like three minutes in on a leg, scrambling all the scram. And Schultz gets the leg back. And Schultz puts his leg down and goes, ha, walked out the door. Whole workout, that was it. What? Went home, his friend changed weights. That's how that story came about. Taylor, you need to ask CP his uh, opinions on this uh, Schultz-Bannock NCAA Finals uh, match. You're just really teeing me up here. Well, no. No, go ahead. because Hey, that's up for debate. That's up for debate. You, I will be very open to what you have to say. I've watched that match a few times. All I'll well, tell you is it was very to watch, but I won't argue with you if you tell me the score was wrong. Entertaining match. I don't know about the score. I just thought um, – <laughs> I have been accused of saying it was a JV match, which I've never, I've never said it was a JV match. But just the, they were just, I'm like, this is not the most incredible display of wrestling technically. I just, the match didn't do it for me, basically. I think that's an, uh, uh, an opinion as an American and a wrestling fan I'm allowed to have. But I've been crucified for it by Ben and by Bracky and these people on Facebook because I didn't happen to like that match. That match is fine. The story is great. It is wonderful. I just didn't happen to think, wow, this, this match wowed me. They were like throwing each other to their backs. It was very exciting, very good, but it just didn't do it for me. And for that, I've, I've drawn the ire of, of Wrestling America yet again. I don't think you're wrong with that opinion. I know what you're talking about, about those body lock positions. I might change your mind with a little bit of a backstory, which was when Schultz went for that, went right to his back and gave up four or five, went mm -hmm. back to it, it worked, and either scored four or five. But um, he had never drilled that move before. He'd never hit it in live competition. He never drilled it, but he had seen it. He saw somebody showing it for some reason, got a bright idea to lock up, step in, and arch. Uh, so that adds to it a little yeah. bit, you know, and the fact that he failed and then he got up and forced the position again, and now all of a sudden it works, and then they both go on and win the Olympics. I, I think in hindsight, that's a pretty special match. No, no disagreement there, none whatsoever. Um, where do you, you know, you were talking about to what it took to overtake, right? Larry Owen versus Dan Gable, in many people's, was the only wrestling match that had ever happened. If you ever talked to anybody about wrestling ever fought, that was the match you heard. And that was right. in like 72 or 71. And then that match came along. I mean, it was over a decade later. And then that lived on all the way until Schneider versus Gwiz. So significance-wise... It was a meaningful match. Like, many people will go and watch Corellin and Rulon and go, well, nothing happened here. Okay, fine. Significance-wise, of Rulon stopping the Russian monster, it lives on. There's a reason it's legendary. Yes, yes. And um, similarly, like, Dake, Dake Taylor, it's not the greatest match ever, but the the decision, the, the history that was on the line for David and for Kyle there makes that match so much better. And I, I don't disagree that that definitely exists in the, in the Schultz banning match. Um, thinking about USA wrestling, what, what are your thoughts in, in men's freestyle particular? 
Who do you think is like the top dog? Who's the best wrestler in America right now? Okay. So what you said right now, you said right now, which could open up for debate. And had you not said right now, you have to go with Burroughs. And even though Burroughs stood his ground, never left 74 kilograms, everybody has seen him at some point. I mean, people have come down and seen him. Or they went on, right? I mean, what he did with Dake, and Dake goes to win some worlds. Or the match with Taylor, as great as that was, Burrow still got his hand right. Taylor moves up two weight classes and wins the world. Who ties in with Jaden Cox, who has a history back to Fargo with Kyle Schneider. You can argue that any way you want, but they all tie back to JB, and JB got his hand raised every time. I mean, it's, it's, I think you would look foolish if you didn't say that, but if you just wanted to talk move for move and skill for skill – which is a little bit of a different conversation. I think that maybe the best technician is David Taylor. And what the best competitor is Jordan Burroughs. I mean, that guy's won more matches down with five seconds left. Yeah. You can't really compare. If you want to say athleticism and mindset and youthfulness, I think you have to look to Jaden Cox. If you look at who's willing to sacrifice and make changes in their life, I think you've got to look at Kyle Schneider. Then if you just want to look at the biggest, baddest dude overall, you got to turn to Gwiz. Yes, yes. Um, it, it and that's, is interesting. That's, by, by the way, Pyle, I'm not sure we know who the best 121-pounder in the country is. I'm not sure that we totally know. Like, Spencer uh, jumped in uh, to the open and didn't have all that hard of a time, but he no. didn't make it to the trials. And then you've got Fix. Is he going to be eligible? Where's he? I mean, I think there's some questions there. You've got Gilman that nobody's going to disrespect. I mean, I think that that's the weight class that you got to look at. You know, Nikki Freestyle, what's he doing? Maybe you can shed some light on it. I, I think that you've got – I think that's the weight class that, that, that that's the real dogfight. Oh, yeah. Most of them, you know, Rob Guy might get knocked off, but he's going to get knocked off by two and maybe at the lowest three. But we've kind of got him identified. That's the weight class, man. I wouldn't want to be in that seating meeting. No way. I mean, I think 57 for fans, for just pure intrigue is so fascinating because with a lot of these weights, there's there's like one question, right? One question at 97. Is it Snyder or is it Jaden? There's, you know, one question in my mind at 74. Is it going to be Dagger or Burst? At 57, it's like, is Spencer going to torch it? Does Gilman have an advantage over Spencer? Can Dayton... Um, hold off Gilman where does someone like Nick Soriano factor and there's so many guys and then then you know that's not even to mention a Seth Gross who beat Nick Soriano and and tech followed Nathan Tomasello right there's just Vito who beat Nick Soriano as well yeah there's just so many guys and in this bracket there's not going to be anyone sitting out right so they're all going to hit and how the bracket is drawn is going to have a huge impact on, on how it goes and you can have a different sort of scenario whereas like it doesn't matter how you draw 74 in my mind in my opinion Kyle Dake will emerge uh and and face Jordan so that's that is the one for me and I think you know maybe it's a recency thing but what Spencer did to that field at 57 to me makes him uh a favorite but you just have no idea I I fully agree with you it does matter the order that you run into. I mean, even at 74, I agree with you. I think that they can, uh, but if you're telling me Imar isn't mm-hmm. a bracket buster, just by one example, you know, I mean, 
it's a little bit confusing. What we're just we're going to blow off James Green? I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? It's one of these things. But I I want to go back to a point you made of how the bracket unfolds. John Smith had made a, a comment at one point. I asked him flat out. So he was in the room with all the guys, and I said, uh, "Guerrero, uh, Guerrero, can he still beat everybody?" And Coach Smith said, "Yeah, he can still beat everybody, but he but not four guys in a day, not five guys in a day, one on one, anyone in the country. Yes, Guerrero is the best guy." I only offer that to you because I never really thought of it in that perspective, but that that's a very real thing. You know, there, there's some athletes that come out of the gate hard. There's some athletes that use that first match as a little bit of a warm up and. Their whole life, they've always done so well. First round was always a foregone conclusion. That is a real thing when you draw a guy. And if a guy gets caught or he grabs some points, and we're talking about Provisor and Perkins, I mean, usually you soup a guy for five points 10 seconds in, it's a curtain call. He's never going to catch you. And that is very real at 121. I mean, you brought Seth Gross and Thomas Sell. Any one of those guys could win that. Vito, Vito's Mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, my God, when I watch him, I'm like, whoa, this guy's good probably the number five seed in that weight class yeah yeah uh no question he was he was third at the at senior nationals which is a pretty fantastic result um yeah he's and for he was what just a sophomore last year we're gonna be good and young at that weight for a while and it's a weight where other than Cejudo we've only had one medal since 2008 and that was um Gilman that was Gilman Gilman when he got uh silver in 17 so we're desperately hoping for some uh Long-term success there. Okay. Well, I, I can't wait for – and you know, Chael, they put – now, I'm not breaking any news, and there's nothing for sure yet, but they put – UWW put a, dates up for Senior Worlds in Serbia. Did you know this? In December. No. Yes. December 12th through 20th. Now, the fi- As we're talking, this just came out? Uh, I think yesterday we talked about this. It, I it was I was alerted to it yesterday. So pretty recently, they haven't made the final decision, but there is a date. It's on the website, December twelfth through twentieth in uh, Belgrade, Serbia. That is uh, that is extremely good news. And, and imagine what that would mean for USA and USA wrestling as they look to, you know, send a team there in really short order. Okay, hold on a second here, but I did not know that. Thank you for telling me that. But secondly, so how are we going to do that? We don't have a world team trials process in place. Am I correct about that? We were not expecting to have this this year. So there is, they do have a plan if if this happens. If they say, and, you know, I think UWW will have an official ruling in the next week or so. They're, they're having their meeting. You and I will come out and we'll we'll decide the team. Is that right? And then that's it. We just you and me get on a quick Skype and we'll we'll hash it out. Um, okay. Or Plan B, oh. Cor- Coralville, oh. October 9th through eleventh would like shift into a World Team Trials and not just the Open. So how about that? What what what, what is a Coralville? What is that? Is that Gator Bay? <laughs> what is Coral? That's is that that's a- that's a city. Have you ever been to Iowa City, Chael? Cor- Coralville? Is that the name <laughs> of a city? It's the name of a town in Iowa that is right next to Iowa City. Um, huh. Yeah, sorry. Sure, um, it's, <laughs> it probably is. Uh, however, that's where Senior Nationals is, Iowa City. We'll just call it Iowa City. And that would change from uh, like a U.S. Open type of thing to Trials. So that would be in October. 
would you go? In fairness, they still do it in Russia. I mean, they they hold the nationals. You win the nationals, you you, you go on to be the representative. I mean, I halfway get that. They used to do that at the universities, which they now call U twenty three. But you go to the university of nationals, you win it. Boom, you're on the. You're on the team. I don't have a big problem with that. I, th- I think that's good of USAW. You have to figure it out somehow. I still think you and I just deciding the team should should be considered. But I think our track record would suggest that would be the best move. We're, it's just proven at this point. Yeah. Did you show up today like intimidated? Did you Did you show up today with like – I feel as though you've been not only a little hesitant, I felt like your questions kind of sucked. I mean, this kind of felt like an interview that I was under subpoena to be at. At any point, do you want to have a conversation while I tell you stories and I smarten you up on the history of wrestling or we just have a good time? Or is this just like a cold heart? I had an hour to fill and I... I had... I feel like Like you you were... You want to tell me at what point in this conversation you died so I can tell the coroner? Like, I could just save everybody some time as they mark your toe tag. Is is there somebody in the corner with a stopwatch and you're you're like, what is going on here today? I've been hypnotized, yes. Anything you said is Coralville and you've gone out of your way to not say wrestling underground. I don't don't really know where this is coming from. Well, I can't, I cannot compensate for your... Terrible memory, Chael. <laughs> uh, what am I supposed to do with this? You, I, I bring up Wrestling Underground two, three times. You still say I don't do it. You still say Dake and Humphrey wrestled in the NCAA Finals. I can't I can't overcome that. That is something I cannot they overcome. Did. They did not. They not. You have they changed. You have, <laughs> you have changed my name on the internet from piles to pile. Okay? You have done it. Yeah, I always hear you a thing about that like anyone's ever picked up the s or i'm the first person to leave it off i mean no disrespect it's the same thing pile pile piles what's the difference by the way by the way they did wrestle in the finals and i fact checked that entire interview that we did and you tried to make me look like a fool and you were cropping my head off all the all the dirty filthy tactics of (laughs) fake news on me i did fact check that and a couple of things came from it. First off, do you want to know who appreciated our conversation on Sean Hag? Sean Hag, I'm sure. Sean? No, no, Mrs. Hag actually, and she. You know, and I don't really feel right calling her a hag. Yeah, but she is one of those things. So it turns out Sean is a coach at a high school, and she like took our clip. She appreciated. It. I don't even know if he saw it, and she put it out like to all the youth, and then the kids thought it was really cool. So there was that. Um, we talked about Guerrero being amongst the greats ever, and I used the reference that he had not registered. He went five one one one, and a lot of people appreciated that. Uh-huh. We had something. I can't remember what it was, but it was brought full circle. I did fact check it. They did wrestle in the finals. Were you <laughs> wrong? That is a total, complete, total <laughs> lie. It is not true, and that's okay. You can have your version of it. Um, but you've changed my listen, I get it. You don't want you don't want to use my real name. That's fine. You want to But Kyle Snyder deserves to be Kyle Snyder. He's not Schneider. It's there's no SCH scenario. It's SNY. And I think listen, can I I can take the hit. You know what? Punch down a little bit at me. No problem. But Kyle Snyder, Olympic champion, I think I think you can get his name right. Did you imply that I did not say Kyle Snyder correctly? Where did that come from? 
Well, I can't. I, I said, Vader? I'm, he- I'm hearing a sh- Vader. Oh, okay. I uh, must have misheard. It could be some, an issue with my with my earpiece. Uh, I apologize. Yeah, no. Hey, I'm one of the first off. Kyle Snyder is a very easy name, but I can even say Gizdowski. I mean, I'm one of the few guys that doesn't have to say Gwiz. In all fairness, I do get names right. I think. I think. I definitely get Kyle Snyder's name right. You've been Snydering all day, but that, but no problem, no problem at all. It's it's all good. I've been. Snyder- you didn't even show up for your own interview, Pyle. You're talking to me like we don't know each other, and you're reading these things off of work. Why don't I don't understand? What what is going on here? Oh, and the only thing you have to discuss in the world is Nicky Ryan and Tony Ramos. I mean, come on, let's get into it a little bit. Some okay. stuff going on. What are you excited about? Okay, I'll tell you one that you've acted like is forbidden fruit around here, but I do think uh, I do think Nickel and Derringer is very compelling, and I do think the mere fact that Kale is our own guy, one hard as respect that. In all fairness, that's interesting, which does come back. I mean, we talked about guys that are being tweeners, but Bo was in that same category. I was very curious: is he going to go up to ninety six, or is he going to come down? And he's got both guys in the room with them, right? He's got Kyle in the room with him. He's got Taylor in the room with him. He went overseas and ran into the Iranian at 96. I mean, I'm just saying there was a lot of questions, but he's another guy that's a bracket buster on any day. Teammates with Mark Hall. Now you're saying Mark Hall's going this way. I mean, it's just iron on top of iron. I feel like there's some good stories out there in wrestling right now. I love what you're telling me about uh, Coorsville, by the way. I'm sorry that I didn't know that. But I like that your nationals and they're gonna they're gonna put this together. You know, let's keep our fingers crossed. I don't think I would be bullish that that's going to happen. It seems it seems pretty quick. Yeah. Um, to me, the hope- the the ringer nickel match seems to me like we're we're gonna get clarity. Who is the number one challenger to David Taylor at eighty six? Right. If if Bo is going eighty six, which everyone seems to believe he's going eighty six, I believe he's even said he's going eighty six. Um, it's t- to me those two guys are the top contenders with Jaden up at at ninety seven now. So I think we're all, what, who do you think wins that match? Well, and that match is at eighty six, and they might have been given a kilo or two kilos, right. but yeah, to say he's going eighty six, yeah, he's he's wrestling Derringer at eighty six. There could be some fine print that they get a win at win at ninety, but yeah, he's going eighty six. I'm torn on that match. I'm as interested as you are. I did. I, I couldn't help but notice that you left the heat out of that. Uh, is that because you don't think he'll be cleared in time, or you don't think he he can go with those two? Why'd you leave the heat out of that? No, that's a that's a great point. I'm not leaving him. I think it's. I'll say this from a wrestling perspective, he is probably the number one contender um, in my mind. Just because, and I say that only because I watched him wrestle Bo. I know it was like. Years ago, it was like 2016 or something when when he beat him at for freestyle. But I'll, both those guys have only gotten better since that point in time. But with his suspension, I feel like that's gonna that could potentially prohibit it. So I've kind of been thinking about 86 Zahidless. If he's in the mix, yeah, I, I would favor him. Obviously, we've seen Daringer has um, they've gone back and forth. I guess Ringer and um, Ringer and Zahid, but. Yeah, no, he for sure would be in the mix for the number two spot. But man, until he's cleared, it's kind of like how much can we talk about him being in the mix there? But no, he. Is there a rule on that? I mean, did they set a 
Most I know about Zahid has all been rumor, and then half of them got debunked. I've never known what happened. Did he get a hard and fast, here's your clearance day? I th- I've, I cannot recall. Um, I don't either. The ever don't seeing. Because was, was there ever a WADA announcement about it of any kind? It was kind of like. There hasn't been any kind of announcement. About it was just Arizona State announced rumor. it. Yes. I mean, it's all been rumored that we could identify, okay, something happened here. Evidence of the fact that he was pulled, something happened here. Well, we don't know what it was. I talked to Zeke Jones and we, I did not ask him that question, nor would I ever. It just feels, it just feels like don't, but it's one of the reasons, you know, we were in talks with uh, Zahido a week ago about wrestling under, but that it just doesn't come up. The same thing goes with Fix. You hear these different rumors. He did get some kind of a rule. I can't remember what it was but i think it does put him out until i don't think he'll be at the 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 coorsville but i i can't i can't recall it off the top of my head yeah so zahid would definitely be a huge wrinkle at 86 i i feel like optimized zahid probably beats ringer and then with nickel man i i don't know anymore i mean nickel got so much better he won the hodge trophy so i think he's gonna have a real size advantage in that match but one thing with zahid is is a size advantage really going to be something where that's going to be a huge have a huge impact on how Zahid wrestles? I I don't see that. Do you? No, I fully agree. I mean, he uses that length and that speed and that pressure. No, I I don't think that it is. And then there's always the fun, which somebody shows up that you didn't know about. Never miss every. Always happens somewhere. Someone shows. I, Kale Sanderson did it one year in 2011. He didn't tell anybody. They all thought he was out their corner and he gets on the scale. But I mean. Somebody shows up, or a guy that you knew was in the turn because you know ahead of time who's qualified. But then he changes weights. He's qualified at two eleven. He weighs in at one eighty five. I mean, something like that always happens. So then you have fun with that too. And I think that comes back to what we were talking about at fifty seven kilos. It matters where you draw them. It matters when you draw them, where you draw them. Did you visualize drawing them? There's a lot of moving parts there that early on provide for even more surprise uh, you know than the finals ncaa sees it every year every single year yeah. and that's a stroke but a number one seed goes down in the first round in some weight class very often do you see gadson going back down to 97 after his loss to Gwiz? oh yeah yeah i yeah. fully expected he would in fact i thought it was going to be the other way here he's going to get a field quiz he's going to compete with Gwiz. this might change his mind and make him go up. He weighed in for that match at 238. Right. So I only say that because he's never really tried heavyweight or even considered it. That was his first foray. And even regardless of what the score might have said, he might have seen something that he likes and might have even thought, you know, if I start lifting a little bit and I focus on this and I gain this much, you know, I, I don't know where his mind worked, but you're always doing detective work. You're always storing something away. And that's a great weight class. I mean, yeah. walls moves up, walls moves down. Nobody really saw that coming. Just by example, guys can change once they once they qualify for the trials. I only suggest for you that at the last minute we are going to get a surprise. Where is it or who is it? Uh, we will get a surprise. Yeah, I for me, um, I've been pretty bullish on on Gable at a at 125 and how good he could be. But Quiz has been able to hold him off, and then we didn't get the trials this year. But I, I still feel like Gable and Quiz are kind of in a class of their own at heavyweight. And I think Kyvin I, – I, I think Kyvin was wise to test the waters at 125 because, like, geez, this 
beating Kyle Snyder thing hasn't gone great, and you've got Jaden coming up. I think I applaud him for for giving it the attempt, but I think I think he, I think he's got to go down now at this point, right? Sure. I mean, it's murder of row, right? I mean, the Olympic trials—it's it, so difficult. You drop down, you change your body, and drop down to a weight class with two world champs, which he probably doesn't care about, considering he's got wins. But in all fairness, you know, you start to you start to plot, you start to plan. You know, it's not just about where can I make the team. You back it off a little bit. Where can I get to the finals? Where can I get a good seat and clean out my side of the bracket? I mean, you break it down as far as you have to until you go, okay, I'm the guy. Boom, that's where I go in. So there's a lot of moving parts. I think we're probably looking in the wrong direction uh, with Gatson. I, I do believe that he's at 96, but I, I think it warrants a conversation I'll share with you that we don't know. And I think you'll have to see my point that every year we do, I mean, we can go back and look. Every year there's a surprise. Somebody yeah. somewhere pops in, not always the number one guy, but usually that two, three, four, full styles. Happens in Greco, happens in freestyle. Didn't see that coming. Boom, the bracket's strong. Yeah, could it, be, could it be Chael Sonnen? Reader's got Kale Sanderson in the first round. I mean, you didn't see that coming. Yeah, that was wild. Well, what about you? I mean, you, you on the last FRL, you were talking about your parterre defense. That you were basically uh, unturnable. Yeah. Is, is that... Is that the understanding? Is that correct? Is that how you feel? Unturnable is a, is a very fair statement, but not uh, close to unturnable, right? It's like um, it's like the day that JFK rode through Dallas. That was a mostly peaceful protest. So I will tell you this: I am close to unturnable, but my statement to you is not that. Like if someone was to lift me or that. There's things you could probably do. The gut wrench is what I was speaking about. Mm-hmm. Very specifically, a gut wrench. How low? How low does this camera go? This could I get in parterre here Look, to show? It would be I'd tough. Be if I go down here, yeah, I'll be out of view. It's very <laughs> specifically to parterre, and that doesn't come with a ton in cheek. Dates back to the time I was a kid. Apparently, it's current now. I mean, if you were to ask, if you were to ask Mason Manville. Apparently, it's still very current, but I will put that on the line, and I won't get turned, but I'll also teach you something about the technique, and it baffles coaches. Like, when I do it, the coach thinks I'm doing it wrong, and the coach is, oh, you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't do that, but I don't get turned. And why I won't, why nobody gives me my credit, I really don't know. I mean, I here I am giving myself credit, which is a little embarrassing, but you're the one that brought it up. I did bring it up. I, I think So, could Jangelo Hancock gut-wrench you? Yes. Okay. That's a size issue, though. He that he could he could likely turn my truck over. <laughs> it's very possible as well. Uh, I, had, I had I had dinner with him, and I remember sitting at the table. And I was asking myself that same question. I was like, eh, uh-uh. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, if, if you're going to issue challenges, you probably should. That might not be the guy. Plus, I think he had just like thrown the Olympic champion and pinned him or something. I think I was intimidated to him anyway. But the day that I ruined Mason's life. Like the day that his father started calling me son and his girlfriend broke up with him, just like Robbie Smith comes up to me and goes, I would have turned Jesse. Well, yeah, Robbie, I know. you. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I'm bragging to you about my technique specifically. I'm not claiming like I got kryptonite through, right. I mean, I'm not making a ridiculous claim. Do you, I do have a technique. That's true. I stand by that. Uh, 
Ben, ben Askren was in the Facebook chat earlier, and he said he would turn you. Speaking, speaking of guys who couldn't turn me in a gut wrench, what did Ben have to say? He said he would turn you. He said he would gut wrench you. And he said gut wrench, too, not just turn. He said gut wrench. No, that is not true. That is fake news, and he is starting a nasty rumor. That is not true. Well, he, he just would ha- By the way, by the way, I'm not the only guy he wouldn't turn. Many people believe that he and Chris Pendleton's feud ended in the NCAAs. Those people are wrong. Ben Askren popped into one of the great tournaments that I truly miss called the Sunkissed Open. And when Askren pops into this little, as he's known to do, like he pops in and wrestles Herbert. I mean, Askren, he pops into the U.S. Open. And by the way, he changes weight classes. He pops in, he gets Pendleton in the finals. And Askren, they get to the edge of the mat and... Pendleton is like defending, but the out of bounds is there. And if you go out of bounds, the ref's gonna gonna bring you back. And Askren grabs his ankle, grabs him by one foot, and he's like pulling him backwards and says to him, and the little guy with the camera that happened to pick this up, he goes, Not so fast, Chris. I'm gonna turn you. And he pulls him back in and jumps on top. He ended up not turning, not relevant to the story. Point of the story is that was a cool moment that was accidentally caught on camera. That is cool. Ben I, just put in the chat, I got wrenched Pendleton so many times. Not in that match you did it, Ben. Not in that match. And you told him you were going to. You said, I'm going to turn you, Chris, but you did it. And I'll tell you another great match from the Sunkiss tournament, and you got to go way back, but people think that the Sean Bormet pat Smith ended in the NCAA Finals as well. It did not. It ended in 1996 in, like, the quarterfinal round. That's how hard the Sunkiss tournament was. These guys met up in, like, the quarterfinals that erupted into a fist fight that Leroy got pushed in. I don't know where Leroy's involvement, but Leroy got hands put on him somewhere. What? What? Man. Yeah. I feel like I've told you that story. I, I haven't heard that one. No. 100%. So these guys meet up in the quarterfinal round. It's at ASU where Sunkiss was held. I can see, I can still see the mat. And Sean had brawls with Pat Smith, but never beat him. And that was the match. He beat him six to five. And many people have asked Sean about that. Hey, is that is that the only time you beat Pat Smith? And Sean's response is officially, which he oh. could be. There's been there's been some controversies. They have a long history. And somewhere in that match, it breaks off between those two. Leroy, who's the head coach of Arizona State, not to mention uh, Pat's brother, is going to be in his corner. He's there. Somewhere he comes to break it up. He gets Hands get put on him. That much I can tell you. And the rumor is that John Smith was headed to the mat. Now, I was there in the building, and I'm not even sure that John Smith was at that tournament. But that's the way the story goes. The first part of it I saw with my own eyes. This John headed to all three brothers against Coach Bournemouth. <laughs> Dang. On, Don't act like I didn't just bring you a gem, man. I just brought you a story right there. Your your memory is so fantastic. Um Yeah, yeah. The the you giving the breakdowns of all the the history of the rules, that's very it's very impressive. Um yes. I yeah, think imp- impressive. That's <laughs> impressive. Thinking about Ben, Ben wants to do this challenge. Oh, Ben, Ben. He he just had hip surgery. He's already feeling salty. It's two days ago. I didn't want to bring that up. Ben knows (laughs) I respect. He cannot turn me. And that isn't a commentary on him. I'm not claiming to be better than Ben Askren. He cannot turn me in a gut wrench. And by the way, 
caveat, he gets 30 seconds. Most guys on top, we were talking about earlier, you get 15 to 20 and it's all in the rest. No, straight up 30 seconds. Oh, by the way, you get your lock. This isn't a game where I'm going to pinch you off or I'm going to get flat or I stand up and run away. There's no tricks here. You can have your lock. You can have your lock, 30 seconds, say go. Won't go over. I won't go over. Oh, by the way, and Pyle, you know me well enough that if I come on and say, I'll back it up. You bring a camera, you do it any way you want. No commentary on Ben, commentary, compliment to me. I don't go over. By the way, by the way, Pyle, I was telling you in our, do you have a minute for me? You've been nothing but short and a dick to me all. Do you have a moment to talk or what? Yeah, you I'm good. You just want to through your questions because you, you think you're, you, you're the feds. Do you have a moment? <laughs> I'm, I'm here, man. <laughs> so the last time I told you that Mrs. Hag, I, I simply don't know her, but she appreciated what we had talked about. And there was another thing we talked about in the last show where you were a dick to me, which was me contending that Eric Guerrero might be the best collegiate wrestler ever. Have that fight any way you want. Eric Guerrero got his ass kicked one time. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking all wrestlers have. Well, not necessarily. Eric did one time. Don't forget, Eric Guerrero was the champion of the world at 15 years old. So, no, he got he got beat one time. I'm not talking ass kicked one time. So here's what happened. You got to back up. Oscar Wood, who has never lost a Greco match in all of high school, and that's true even to this day. First four-time junior national champion, only four-time junior national champion, runs into, in Las Vegas, in an opening round, a young man named Casey Gillis. Now, Gillis had done a grand total of nothing at Fargo, of which Oscar was already a three-time champion. But what Oscar didn't know is that Gillis went to the Cadet World Championships and was second in the world. He was a great Greco wrestler. So when this match came up, I knew exactly what was going on. And I also knew that Oscar didn't know. So they walk out there, boom, fast. Gillis was known for a head and arm. Mm. Threw him in a head and arm, cinched that thing up. One and only match that, that, that uh, Oscar's ever lost. So he goes insane. And don't forget, Greco comes first, and then when Greco's done, you go into freestyle the next day. So Oscar loses his mind. Like, you can't even talk to Oscar. So he comes in to the freestyle tournament, and in the opening round draws Willie Weinberg. Willie Weinberg was a junior world champion. Oscar took care of him 9-3 to three like it was nothing. And you still couldn't talk to Oscar. Like, that wasn't a consolation prize. He was going to go through this tournament. So he runs into, in the semifinals, Eric Guerrero. So, and this is one of the things, you know, you're at the U.S. Open. you got Kerry Colot wrestling over here, and the Brands boys are up, and Kendall Cross just got caught. It's a big deal. They still took notice of this match. In the world of high school wrestling, and at this time, this is a big deal. You have Eric Guerrero, who is a world champion, and he's going to take on a three-time junior national champion, even if it's a different style than Oscar Wood. And this is the semifinals, and this was still I – mean, Oscar was out of his mind. Couldn't talk to him. Oscar texts him, and I and fast. He put him in a front headlock. He choked the life out of him. He turned him every which way with loose. And i never seen Eric Guerrero lose. I know that he had lost. For example, in the cadets, he was second in freestyle, and he was second in Greco, but I didn't see it. I had never seen Eric Guerrero lose. So – and I remember when it was done because Guerrero got off the mat, 
and he took his straps down, as you've seen guys do, and he's running towards the door of the Las Vegas Convention Center, which just leads to outside and nothingness, like the desert. And he flying kicks the door, Ooh. and the door goes flying open, and Guerrero disappears. Well, here's the bad news. When the door shuts, you can't get back in. <laughs> I've seen this. I'm picturing – I don't know how it went. I wasn't – I'm inside. I'm not – He's now outside in the desert, topless. I mean, he's, he's, he's up. You look even worse, right? So you got then he's got to walk around like the whole building. He doesn't have his banner to get inside. There's taxis. There's tourists. I don't really know how that went. So the same way that Oscar lost his mind before that match happened, Guerrero lost his mind getting ready for the Junior Nationals and the rematch. Yeah, there's often a re. God damn it, pile! God damn it! I, that was whole thing was a test to see if you were listening. I literally just said to you, which you don't know because you're not paying attention. I <laughs> just said to you, Guerrero got ready for the rematch. I then sat back like this. That was a cue for you to say to me what, what happened. happened? Rematch, but you didn't ask it because you don't ever listen to me when I'm talking to you. I wanted to say I've seen a few times the there's a lack of re-entry strategy on the part of wrestlers when they're really upset and they leave a building and then five minutes later you hear knocking on the door. Their day just gets worse, um, but they're so emotional. Why don't you just say who it was? What's <laughs> well, happened with Frank Molinero at, at uh, World Team Trials in 2018, I think. Yeah, when he lost to Chamberlain. Outside. Yeah, he, he went outside, and, like, it was really tight. It was, like, a small gym. It was, like, think about, like, a high school gym. And, like, he just kind of he unloaded. He was really upset. Boom, storms through the door. And, all right, we're calling the match or whatever, and the door's right behind me. Then all, all of a sudden, you're, goo, 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 and, like, knocking on this door, and Frank walks back in. Um, well, it was really awkward because the doors he went out of and then got locked out of, they immediately – began interviewing Chamberlain, who he just beat right with his back to those doors. So then he's pounding in the middle of the interview to get back in those same doors. So I was I was merely bringing that up, and then now I can ask what happened in the rematch. <laughs> okay, so they match up, and this is freestyle. So again, this is second. Very relevant because now Oscar's already wrestled 11 matches. He won his fourth making him the first Junior National Greco-Roman Championship. Eric only does freestyle, and he's only thinking about Oscar Wood. And quite frankly, it's all he has to think about. So they end up on the same side, and they meet up in the semifinals. And um, it was very similar to the first match technique-wise. I remember Oscar did score with a front headlock. Uh, the final score was 4-2 to two and how they went about that. But it was a very close, and it was a very competitive match. Oscar largely controlled it. There wasn't a big question of if he was going to lose it. It was just a, he just kind of outmanned him at that time. It's, it's just the way it went. But it's the one and only time Eric's had his ass kicked. He's lost. Totally different story. In large part, he redeemed it. I mean, he closed that gap. Ten points, got on the board himself. It was tight. But uh, Oscar, for beating Eric, he, he ended up winning in the finals, too. He doubled up that year. But they gave him outstanding wrestler. But it was because of that, man. I mean, Eric was the world champion. Eric was cadet world champion. Oscar beat him. Yeah, that's insane. That's um, I'm I'm not super familiar with Oscar Wood to to be honest with you. So I'm learning a lot about him on on this. I know a lot about Eric Herrero, of course, what he's done, and yeah. Um, 
Oscar was a force, so he was he was the first and only force that had still not been done in Greco. Alan Freed did it in freestyle, and I think somebody else came along and did it in freestyle, but not in Greco. And uh, but he was also a four-time All-American. I'm talking Fargo in freestyle. He was he was right there, but you know he'd had 22, 23 matches in a weekend. And uh, his senior year, he finally he finally doubled up. I only share that with you. He went on to be an Olympian and NCAA, you know, third pin seven guys and all these different great things. He was an Oregon guy. That's why I keep telling you, but I just I knew I saw the whole story. But that that was one of the great match. Oscar Wood versus Casey Gillis is a legendary match, and Oscar Wood versus Eric Guerrero was it's great. Yeah. Wish we had uh Wish there was more video of, of wrestling. I, I think we are pretty lucky with what has matriculated to YouTube over the years. But think of what, you know, thinking about that, the Smith brothers versus Sean Bormet. I mean, that would be freaking incredible. Especially now since all these guys, so many of them just stay in the sport and they become these figures. It would be, um, be amazing if we had a library of, of videos. But we will moving forward. So that's, that's at least a great thing, huh? So Stephen Kyle Brackey has to pick up his child soon. Um, but I wanted to ask this question, Chael. Who is on your M- Mount Rushmore for college wrestling? Okay. Has Askren chimed back in with an apology by any chance? He likes it when you call me Pyle. He likes me when you attempt to change <laughs> my name. But has he conceded? I mean, I didn't want to bring up the whole hip thing and this and that. He couldn't have turned me before the hip. Or I mean, I just, if he's on record, I want to be on record too. Okay. The Mount Rush, can I be long-winded and I'll wrap? I, I know we, a child has to get picked up from daycare. I'll try not to be too long-winded. But th- there's a few moving parts here because everybody wants to argue resume. And I don't know that that's right. I don't know that you mm. can just go a four-timer is better. I don't know about that. I You want to put a four-time champion versus Kyle Dake doing the same thing at four different weight classes. I mean, you can have this debate all day long. I think you do have to look at guys like John Smith, who went into their senior year world champion. Or you look at Kyle Schneider, who went into his senior year at a different weight class, Olympic champion. I mean, I do think there's something that needs to be said for the youthfulness and the time that they got it done, but the shoe fits the other foot too, where Jordan Burroughs was not a four-timer, but you look back and go, oh my goodness, hard to imagine anybody that could have beat him on his best day. It's, it's just one of those things. So I'll go in order of respect to the champions. You have to go Kale Sanderson. The story of Kale Sanderson gets uh, retold and mistold in all fairness. If I was to just walk you through Kale How's Sanderson. How is it mistold? Here is how it is mistold. God damn it, Kyle. What is on that attitude? I was right in the middle of telling you the story before you challenged me. Here's here's something that you do need to know. When you show your appreciation and respect to Kale Sanderson, look at his freshman year, okay, please. In the semifinals, because it, it, it matters who you drew into. It does. Mm-hmm. There's some three-time champions that I could tell you about, and I, I won't. I don't want that went to the U.S. Open and have never even placed it. I mean, sometimes there's a good year to win the NCAAs, believe it or not. Kale Sanderson, as a freshman, runs into Brad Baring in the semifinals. Now, not only did Brad Baring go on to be an NCAA champion, not only did Brad Baring go on to be a two-time Olympian, not only did Brad Baring go on to bring home a world silver medal, okay, that match was less than two rounds. Kale packaged him up in a cradle and put him away. He then goes, and he's a freshman, he draws into the finals against Egham. 
Agum was a very good wrestler and a multi-time All-American. That's where it ended. Agum went on to be a world silver medal. So within one tournament, as a freshman, he took out the Greco world medalist and the freestyle world medalist. I only offer that to you because a lot of guys, after they had the Kale experience, did not move on to the next level. They didn't move on because they weren't good enough. They just, man, there's no point. And I only tell you, because I have heard some people go, well, yeah, you know, he won some matches, but who did he beat? That isn't true. He yeah. ran everybody off, and he did it as a freshman. He beat, in the quarters, uh, his freshman year, he beat Andy Rovat. He pinned him in the second period. So I didn't know that. He had Rovat in the quarters. He pinned Varing in under two minutes, and then 6-1 over Egham. 5-1 over Egham. Whatever, whatever you've seen is fake news, and I assure you I'm right on this one. Of course, Okay, I'm just reading the no, bracket. Really, it, it, it was 5-1. I believe you. I believe yeah. you. Um, yeah, that that is. I mean, his freshman year, he went pin eighteen to six, pin pin five one over Brandon Egum. That's a right. really insane. So he's no, the best. Really, but I do I do think you have to give some credit to the semis and the finals being both against world medals from opposing styles. I mean that that's kind of a day old question. Well, who's better in this? And then, well, how would they meet if they met in the third style folk style? It happened. Mm-hmm. He read he read in to world medalist of opposing styles and didn't have an offensive point scored on him. It's very okay. relevant. Well, how about this then? This is, this is a curveball for you, but given how you, you give a lot of credit to who you beat and how they did, how do you factor in someone like Metcalf who won a bracket with Bubba Jenkins, Darian Caldwell, um, JP O'Connor, national champ, Dustin Schlater, Josh Torella, um, Lance Palmer, etc. How does that factor in? Okay, well, let's go back to when you mentioned Slater because this is very relevant because Slater was a national champion as a freshman, mm-hmm. but Metcalf was sitting out. Metcalf was, was redshirting, and those two had met up in high school. There was a pretty good belief based on history that Metcalf could beat him, but Metcalf wasn't in the bracket. So the fact when Metcalf comes out, uh, you know, and still has Slater in the bracket, it was a very big deal. He knew what he was getting into. He jumped into it anyway. I mean, I, I would factor it very well is the answer to your question. I do think it's very relevant to who's there and who they went on to do. I only share with you, to use Kale by example, he ran everybody off. If you were to look at some of the later years, and go, yeah, but this guy didn't even wrestle beyond this, or this guy didn't. They weren't necessarily in the bracket because they knew they were going for second. So I bring that up because you asked me about Rushmore. Boom, he goes on the list. Now, I do think you have a meaningful conversation after that. I would throw Pat Smith in there largely out of respect. Mm-hmm. Pat Smith would be another one where if you wanted to bring up an argument and go, how do you win four titles here? And you pop over to Vegas called the U.S. I mean, in all fairness, it's it's one of these things that you you could have a conversation. You'd be a little bit of a jerk to do it, but you could. Right. So you're, you're Mount Rushmore, Kale, Pat, Dake. Is it just the four four-time NCAA champions? Uh, I, look, I mean, I, I disclose that to you in advance, that that, that that is how peoples would go. And if I was to have an argue, yes, you're probably going to have to go on that. But for significant reasons. Look, Kale was undefeated. Pat was the first time to do it. Dake did it at four different weight classes. I think if you're in a debate like we're having now, you're probably not going to lose the debate. And then who you want to bring in. La- I look, if people are going to go Steve, I, I mean, I understand all those things. That might be the answer. 
But I think if you look, I mean, even at Rutherford and what he did, or you look at Bo Nickel and, and what, I, I just think there's some other guys, and I don't mean to use recency bias, but I think there's some other guys that, that, that you would have to turn to. And then there's other people that are going to guy, you know, bring guys of yesteryear. Look, they're not wrong. There was never a time for wrestling like there was in the 80s, and that's not true about very many other sports. You're insulting the sport and say it didn't progress. But the 80s was a very different time because there wasn't the breakup of the USSR. I mean, yeah. on a large scale, wrestling was really at a height back then. If you wanted to go and bring somebody forward from then, you know, people talk about how great Kerry Colott was at a very youthful age or how great Dave Schultz was, you know, even if there, there there's three championships between them, I think there's something to be listened to. I don't think you have to be a four-time. I don't know who my fourth guy is, but you don't have to be a four-timer. Brecky, go and get your kid. Pile, I've had it with you. Askren, you're not going to turn me. Manville, sorry your parents disowned you. I'm out. <laughs> Chell, thank you so much. There he goes. I think he's gone already. I wasn't trying to cue him up to leave. I was just going to sneak out and let you guys keep talking. Man, I didn't even get to say goodbye. Look at him. He's just gone. <laughs> Just ghosted. That was it. The show's over whether I like it or not. Bracky's leaving. I got to go. Chael hung up. Philip started playing the music. I thought I was the host, but I have no <laughs> power here. I'm just a pawn in this great system. Uh, Chael takes over when he's on. Chael takes over. <laughs> it's his show. He's officially the host when he's on. Calls me mean names, and yet I still invite him back. And I just signed myself up for abuse at the hands of Chael Sonnen. Go get your child, Bracky. All of you, go get your children if you need to do that. Someone's got to watch these kids. Someone's watching mine, hopefully, right now. We'll see you Tuesday. We'll see you Tuesday. I won't be here. Maybe to your delight. Okay? <laughs> but Ben Asker will be back to everyone's delight. J.D. Raider, young J.D., the pride of Jewel, Iowa, is going to be here. That's going to be great. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be in Virginia. Thank you guys so much. Hopefully more good news to come. Hopefully some Beat the Streets matches will be announced. I think maybe tomorrow. I'm not trying to make that up, but I think that could be true. It might not be true. Beat the Streets matches will be announced, though. Thank you guys so much. Thanks to Chael. I'll give the obligatory thank you. He's probably not even listening right now. But if word got back to Chael that I said thanks for being on the show, someone tell him that. Maybe buy me a little goodwill. Not that I care what he thinks. Thanks so much. See you next week. Not me. Later. <laughs>